Thanks for listening to Code Switch. Check out the NPR One app for your phone. You can listen to news and stories from your local station. You can find new shows to make your commute less awful. It's great hand-curated podcasts and stories. They're always ready when you are on NPR One. Find it on your app store, N-P-R-O-N-E. I know how it's going to be when I die. It's going to be no noise. You're going to hear people screaming. I'm fade out. If you don't recognize that voice, I'm not going to lie, I'm judging you a little bit. <laughs> it's Tupac Shakur from an MTV interview back in 1995. Pac died 20 years ago this week, and he's done anything but fade out. Gene, you know I love him. I know you do. So on this episode of Code Switch, we're going to talk about Tupac's legacy. I'm Shereen Marisol Meraji. And I'm Gene Demby. And this week, we're trying to figure out are we too reverent towards Tupac? Hmm. It's 20 years since he died, and there's still so much love for this dude. Even though when he was alive, he was full of contradictions, and he was a really, really polarizing figure. And Shereen, obviously you and I debate about Tupac all the time. Yes, I love him. You don't. I do not. <laughs> and the Pac I love is that Oakland, California-loving, charismatic, goofy Tupac that I get around Tupac. Hmm. Uh. I mean, that song, for me, it makes up a huge part of my life's soundtrack. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Sacramento, California. I spent my late teens and half my 20s living and working in Oakland. And for me, Gene, Pac was a Bay dude. You know, his mom was a former Black Panther. He Mm -hmm. was artsy and eccentric. He just seemed hella bay. And hella bay. <laughs> <laughs> hella bay. And, you know, look, if you weren't into the bay pock, there was lots of sides to his music. There was the thug life pock, the mm-hmm. deep thinking prophetic poet, you know, changes, keep your head up pock. And that's why he might be my favorite rapper of all time. Uh, I said it. <laughs> so I don't feel the way about Pac the way you do. I um, know. I mean, part of this is just like East Coast chauvinism. I was like, you Morky has blisters. That's always what I imagine. <laughs> that's more Ice Cube. <laughs> but that's what I imagine all y'all saying on the West Coast all the time. Oh, okay. Um, but also, it's important to note here that I was a very, very square 13 and 14-year-old. I was an altar boy. Pac was like this dude who was kind of scary. Like, he scared me in the way that I think he scared like a lot of old black folks you know he got into all these beefs with like civil rights leaders like c dolores tucker and stuff like that um and i think Pac represented this kind of like i'm doing air quotes here but like dangerous black masculinity that i don't think i had a lot of purchase on you know what i mean and so i couldn't necessarily mm. like identify with him in the way that i could identify with like a tribe called quest um i liked sort of like more afrocentric hip-hop or whatever i like tribe too i mean yeah, just you can... because you like tribe doesn't mean you can't like Pac. Well, the thing there, though, is that I liked hip-hop that was more subtle, and there was nothing subtle about Tupac, right? And so, like, even, like, Biggie, who was, like, a wordsmith and a really witty dude, right? Like, I could understand the way Biggie's mind worked. But Pac was just, like, raw charisma. Um, I think a lot of his rapping is carried mostly by, like, his charisma. You know what I mean? We can agree to disagree. Because for me, you know, Biggie was a great lyricist. I get that. Mm -hmm. Um, But Pac's lyrics actually hit you in the gut. They make you tear up. They, They make you feel something emotional that, in my opinion, biggies don't. Oh, yeah, absolutely right. And I think I come to appreciate him much more as an adult. Like, in retrospect, you know, Pac was this dude who sort of had his middle finger up to, like, all these ideas about respectability. He was one of the first people in public life 
uh, especially black people who had like tattoos like all over his body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he was like making people uncomfortable. And you know, now we take it as a given that black celebrities can sort of be themselves, be their full selves in public. And Pac was probably one of the first people to be unapologetically himself in that way. So, Gene, in this episode, we Mm -hmm. talked to writer Kevin Powell about all these complications and contradictions that surround Tupac and his legacy. Uh, Kevin was a young journalist at Vibe magazine who wrote a couple cover stories on Pac. He did a jailhouse interview with him from Rikers Island. And Pac looms really large in Kevin's life. People who don't understand hip-hop or understand pop culture will never understand why these pop culture figures are our senators. They are our congresspeople. They are our presidents. They have an impact on us in ways that people will never understand unless they, in their own time, felt that way about the Beatles or Bob Dylan or Joni Mitchell or Nina Simone. It's the same exact thing. And Kevin Powell spent three crazy years covering Pac's life for Vibe. And, you know, all these years later, he's still trying to process his death. But I think we need to go back to 1996 real quick. Mm -hmm. So it was September 7th and Tupac was shot in Las Vegas. And Kevin actually headed out there to cover it for Rolling Stone. And Gene, we know it wasn't the first time Pac had been shot. You know, part of the Tupac folklore was that he lived after being shot five times. It was like he was a Superman, like a mythical figure. You know what I mean? Not that he was better than anybody. But, you know, people are like, well, he'll, he'll, he'll be okay. The next day, September 13th, it was a Friday. I'll never forget it. They're in Vegas. I'm sitting there watching on HBO Denzel Washington playing Malcolm X. It's the scene where Malcolm X is on his way to the Audubon Ballroom and is about to be assassinated, and you hear the song from Sam Cooke, A Change Is Gonna Come, playing. Just as that was going on, I get a call from Allison Samuels, who's been a longtime journalist for Newsweek magazine. She said two words, Pac's dead. And I just started crying. I went to the hospital like everybody else did, and, you know, you, just, you are in shock. You know, uh, I'm not a drinker anymore, but that, that night I went to the exact corner where Pac got shot. I drank liquor and I poured out, as we do in the hoods of America, the rest on the ground. You know, I didn't know what else to do. You know what I mean? It was one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. That's Kevin Powell. And he's going to talk with us about what Tupac means in 2016 after a short break. And it may sound crazy since we're talking about Tupac, but yeah, we got to warn you, there's some explicit language in the music (laughs) we'll hear. Stay with us. This is Code Switch. Support for this podcast and the following message come from iTunes Movies with the Sundance hit, Hunt for the Wilder People. Raised on hip-hop and foster care, defiant city kid Ricky Baker gets a fresh start in the New Zealand countryside. When a tragedy strikes that threatens to put Ricky back in the system, he and his foster father go on the run in the wilderness. A national manhunt ensues, and the newly branded outlaws must put aside their differences to survive as a family. Hunt for the Wilder People, available to own exclusively on iTunes Movies, September 13th. Hey, it's Guy Raz here from the TED Radio Hour, and I'm really excited to tell you about another podcast I'm hosting. It's called How I Built This, and it's a show about the most amazing innovators and entrepreneurs and the stories behind the companies and movements they built. The show launches on September 12th. You can find it at npr.org slash podcasts on iTunes or on the NPR One app. 
You're listening to Code Switch. We're back. I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji. And I'm Gene Demby. All right, Gene, let's get into this interview about Tupac's legacy with Kevin Powell. Mm-hmm. He starts things off by ranking Pac's rap prowess. Uh-oh. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty for me now because I've had 20 years uh, to really process this thing. And I think he was, a, he was an incredibly talented artist in many different ways, but I would never put him in my top five hmm. greatest rappers of all for a lot time. of people. I, I would agree with you, but that would be sacrilege for a lot of people. It's, it's interesting that you're both from the East Coast. I just want to <laughs> point that out. <laughs> well, so, is, so is Tupac Shakur, though. <laughs> well, okay, fine. But he did have love for California, especially the Bay Area. Absolutely. And I have, you know. But I would put rappers like Snoop Dogg and Ice Cube and Kendrick who is greatly influenced by Tupac, ahead of Tupac in terms of overall skills. We're talking about content, lyrical flow. Uh, you know, Pac had great moments. Like I remember when he was uh, when I did the Rikers Island interview when he was in prison, and we were given a copy of Dear Mama, and the song blew me away because I'd never heard anything like that. You know, and I still think that's one of the most important songs ever made about a son's love for his mother in any genre of music. You know, and even as a crack fiend, Mama, you always was the black queen, Mama. But I just think that we never got to see his full potential either as an actor or as a rapper because his life was cut short at 25. Right. I mean, but you don't think his his lyricism would have evolved? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. To maybe Absolutely. surpass the Kendrick Lamars or the. You're a Tupac fan. Yeah. I love that. I'm, I'm not. A Tupac. No, me? No. <laughs> I'm a Tupac fan. I'm a yeah. massive Tupac fan. But no, I, I am too. He was 25. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, think about, you know, uh, John Lennon got to live to 40. Bob Marley got to live to 36. You know, imagine with Pac, if he would have been 30, if he'd have been 35. Imagine Pac now with mm. all the stuff happening in this country, the things he would have been writing about, you know, because he was that artist. He had the ability to write the kind of uh, political poetry of a Bob. Bob Dylan, of a Marley. He was a street poet. You know, he understood the masses of people because he was always in touch with people. And I think, you know, it's rare that you encounter someone like that. You know, folks get so caught up in um, who's the greatest rapper, the greatest rappers of all time. The reason why Pac, to me, is one of the most important figures in pop culture, period, is because he transcended his art form and became a person of the people. I've met a young man whose father is the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, one of the major ones in this country. He, it was at an elite boarding school in Northern California, Shireen, and this young man had a, sat in the front row. He had a Tupac Shakur shirt on. When the program was over, all of 17 years old, had not been born again before mm. uh, Pac died. And he said, Tupac is my hero. You know, I'm in uh, Barbados in the West Indies, and I'm hanging out in the cut with Rastafarians eating Itaal food. The word gets around that an American writer's there. A young Bayesian brother comes up and had us on a Tupac shirt. He said, when I was in prison, I read Tupac's articles that you wrote, and that saved my life. I mean, this is... This is the kind of impact they were talking about. I'm in Ireland with my friend, Irish brother, and he says to me, Kev, now that you're here, and this young man was all of, all of 28, 29, Pac is the biggest rapper in Ireland. I said, Pac is dead. He said, it doesn't matter. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because in Cuba, too. When I was in Cuba in 1999, I mean, they absolutely adore Tupac. In Cuba. People of all different backgrounds, I love Tupac. It's blown my mind. Why, in 20 years? Like, I, Why? I, mean, I, I mean, what is it about Pac that, that resonates so much with people? I mean, he's... Uh, like he fits into this mold. It's a familiar mold of like black masculinity. It's like uh, right. like Malcolm sort of inhabited this template. The Black right. Panthers, you know, Huey Newton and those folks 
sort of did as well, like both dangerous but sort of autodidacts who were like worldly um, and asked big questions. Um, because of his background, because Pac was born to a, a woman of Fanny Shakur, may she rest in peace, who was an intellectual, who was a scholar, but who also was a Black Panther Party member, as we know, who was someone who was of the movement, of the people, because his stepfather was Matula Shakur, a longtime mm-hmm. political prisoner, uh, because he was a movement baby, a product of the civil rights movement. You but know, he, was, born in, he was ambivalent, right, to the figures in that movement. Well, I, we got to, again, I want to stress this, Pac was in his 20s, so sometimes he was, sometimes he wasn't. There's a lot of us who, I'm a, I'm a movement baby, if you will, and that's one of the things that drew me to Tupac because I was an activist since the time I was a teenager and so you know you want to see a world where there actually is change where there is no oppression but mm-hmm. then you wonder why it's not happening and that's where the ambivalence comes from and there was also that tension you know with uh, our generation generation X and even with the millennials now who've kick-started Black Lives Matter and other movements with that generation the boomers the civil rights generation like well you say all this stuff but what has actually happened what has actually changed but at the same time I feel that pot never stop speaking to the conditions of people on this planet. I mean, you listen to the Machiavelli album, you know, the thing that was put out right after he died. I mean, these are incredible tracks. I actually think that's probably one of his finest uh, albums because of the the, the no-nonsense approach to talking about struggle and, and oppression on this planet. Penitentiaries is packed with promise makers Never realized the precious time that bitch niggas is wasting Institutionalized, I live my life a product made to crumble Is... The Pac of, I know like we're all complicated. We all have, you know, multiple facets to who we are. But it's the Pac of like, you know, um, how do you want it? And some of the stuff that's like much more um, politically tinged. Changes or something. Yeah, change, like exactly. Are those reconcilable? Like, I mean, does does that diminish the the more pointed political stuff? Well, you know, it, what I think diminishes is, you know, the sexual assault case that he caught here in New York City. Right. You know, I think the Hit Em Up song against Biggie and, and Diddy, that undermines, in some ways, Keep Your Head Up, you know, which is an important song. I mean, this man in Keep Your Head Up is talking about being pro-choice. You know, and supporting women's right to choose. He's talking about feminism. But then Pac catches this charge and he says these other things. And so, again, I want to stress, you know, when I met Tupac, he was 21, 22 years. It was on the heels of his first album being successful. And, you know, the recognition he got as, as the clear star of the film Juice, which took him to a whole nother level. And now you're famous and you haven't really dealt with the traumas of your childhood, being born in New York, moving to Baltimore, moving to Northern California, you know, all over the place. I mean, not knowing who your father was, not even knowing your biological father was alive until the last couple of years of your life. Growing up in horrific poverty, your mother becoming addicted to crack cocaine at some point in your teenage years, you know, and now you're famous and you're having to process all of this stuff. And so I always say to people, it's also important to take a step back. You know, like a John Lennon, even though, you know, it's sad to me that and Lennon's my favorite Beatle, died at 40. He was killed at 40, you know, but he got to go back and reflect on, you know what? John Lennon in his 20s was a batterer to Cynthia Lennon. Mm. You know, I should not treat women that way. Sexism, violence against women and girls is not acceptable. That's right. um, and that's 
Pac never got to turn that corner is what I always say to people. Let's look at the positive things that Pac was about. He was always about the community. You know, he was very loyal to people, you know. And the stuff that, that was contradictory or, or seemed to undermine, we need to take those as life lessons. And, and I think Pac never got to reconcile those things. And that's mm-hmm. why we see these multiple Pacs that people are drawn to. I'm on Twitter. Some people are quoting Pac as if he's a scholar teaching at Harvard University. Then there are other people <laughs> quoting Pac like, yo, son, let's go F them up real quick. You know what I mean? Life yeah. goes on, son. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, Kevin, one thing that it, I've been thinking about a lot and also on the heels of the Nate Parker controversy mm-hmm. is this sexual assault conviction, all yeah. of this, if it would have happened in 2016 in the age of Twitter, do you think we would be so reverent of Tupac Shakur? Would yeah. he would he have this legacy uh, that we're talking about 20 years later um, if all that went down in 2016 and we were having this conversation that we're having right now in like 2036? Well, it's an interesting question because, you know, I, I've thought about it a lot because I'm around the folks who are connected to this whole thing with Nate Parker and the birth of a nation. And one of the things I said is that I don't know how Pac would have been treated if he was in the era of Twitter and Facebook, social media. But one thing about remember, if people go back and look at the interview that I did with Pac at Rikers Island, mm-hmm. I didn't pull any punches. I said, Pac, what happened in that hotel room? He maintained his innocence, but what he said is, what I am guilty of is that I didn't stop those other men from assaulting her, from taking advantage of that woman, and I'm responsible for that. And that's something that I, I think people need to think about, because how many men do you know, you know, who would actually say something like that at 23, 24, or 44, or 64, to actually take ownership for their sexism, their patriarchy, their misogyny? So even at that early stage, Pac understood it, you know. Uh, that he had to take ownership. And he said, I'm trying to figure this thing out. So I think what people would see if it was the era of social media, Pac was always honest. He was honest about everything. He expressed his vulnerability. He expressed how he felt, if he was hurt, if he was happy. Mm-hmm. I think that Pac could have become an example of the kind of masculinity, the kind of manhood we need to move toward in this country, you know, with the right guidance. That's the thing that was missing because like me and so many of the young men who come from urban environments, we had no fathers. We had no mentors. I know that now as an older man, how many younger men I mentor, you know, who are clueless about being a man. Pac was no different. He just happened to be world famous. In your Rikers interview with him, he's like, there's this evil inside of me and I want to get it out. You know, I want to do better. I want to do good. Do you think that turned after he got out? Let me tell you, the Rikers Island interview, interview, the prison interview, was in January 1995. Pac spills his soul to me, which meant he spilled it to everybody who read the article all over the country and all over the world. I'm going to change. I'm going to stop smoking weed. I'm going to stop smoking cigarettes. You know, um, I'm your child, you know, and and, and basically I want to be held accountable. Fast forward to the death row cover at the end of the year, 1995, which is the last time I spoke to Tupac. I show up on the set of the California Love video. Pac is out there counting mad money, you know, uh, mm. the sugar's giving him. Before I, he even did that, I knocked on his trailer door. The door opens and a gust of marijuana smoke comes out. I was like, oh, wow, this is the Pac who said he wasn't going to smoke weed anymore. So it's hard to say. I think that Pac evolved in terms of his understanding of who his, what his significance was, what his role was. You know, if you look at Pac in the last year or so of his life, he was actually mentoring younger artists. You know, he was, and he was only 25, 24, 25. You know, so I think he understood he had a responsibility to share what he had learned with other people. He was evolving in terms of his understanding of business, what he needed to control for himself. I just don't know where he was evolving, honestly, in terms of his personal development, you know. Yeah. I mean, the man was a sex symbol. 
you know, for women, but he also becomes someone who can you can talk about sexism and misogyny because of some of the things that he did, as we discussed mm-hmm. earlier. He represents various forms of masculinity. He represents hip-hop. He represents pop culture. He represents making something out of nothing, which is the essence of the definition of hip-hop. You know what I mean? He represents that middle finger, which is resistance, resistance, resistance. That's Occupy Wall Street. That's the Black Lives Matter movement. That's any people who feel like they've been disrespected and disregarded by the power structure on this planet. Pac covered all of those bases. Are we being critical enough? About two years Shakur? out. Yeah. You know, I don't. I've I'm critical all the time because people always. I said no. I can't support the sexism. Can't support the overuse of the N word. And I nah. And I come from the hood. I come from the environment that created hip hop. I'm of the culture. I'm a hip hop head for life. So I think we should be critical. Always be critical. I don't believe in putting people on a pedestal. Like people will always say, well, Kev, what did you learn from Tupac? And I'll say, well, first of all, I was five years older than him, so I think he learned some things from me as well. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think it goes both ways. But we also know that we live in a society, in a world that is celebrity obsessed, that tends to put people on pedestals and make them into mythological figures. What I'm most interested in is mm-hmm. the humanity of Tupac, the good parts, the bad parts, and the parts in between so I can get a fuller picture of who he was as a whole human being. Do you do anything on the anniversary of his death? Do you do anything special? Do you, I don't know, wake up and think about him? I play his music. I play his music. I celebrate his birthday more than anything. I think about, it's interesting you ask that question. This is the first time I'm really thinking about uh, September 13th in this way. I always celebrate his birthday every year. We always, you know, um, post mad music online. We have conversations with people. I've done a lot of interviews about Pac, obviously, through the years. Yeah. But I have to say that it's been very uh, difficult um, having these conversations because you, 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 it's 20 years and it just went by like that. It seems like yesterday, you know, but this is what happens when an iconic figure dies. They become frozen where they were mm-hmm. and they're that person forever at that age. And that's it. It is a trip because I was a little bit younger than him when he died um, to now be o- so much older. <laughs> and yeah. to think uh, of him frozen in time, it's true. It's like, he, yeah, there is something really strange about that. Yeah, I thought he was a grown-ass man. Like, you know, yes. I, was in, I was in high school. I think I was like 10th grade maybe wow. um, when yeah. Pac was killed. Um, yeah. And yeah. I just remember thinking of him as, you know, he's 25. I was like, oh, he's grown. <laughs> and now that I'm in my 30s, I'm like, oh, no, he was a child. I mean, you know what I mean? He Like there was so much he had not yeah. had a chance to do. Very yet. young. One of the things that happens to so many rappers as they get older, you know, because hip-hop is a medium of young people in so many ways, is that rappers like, sort of age into irrelevance. Um, would you have preferred that he had lived a life that allowed him to just become like a middle-aged B-list rapper <laughs> as opposed to... <laughs> I mean, this is a very weird question. But I mean, uh, let me put this in context for you all. If Pac was alive now, he'd be 45. Mm-hmm. He would actually be younger than Jay-Z. He'd be younger than Diddy. He'd be just a couple years older than Eminem. He'd be younger than Dr. Dre. He's about the same age as Snoop Dogg. He would only be about six years older than Kanye West. Mm. And so, yeah, you can argue that hip-hop is an art form that is propelled by young people. That's always been the case, you know, my generation in the 80s and 90s, you know what I'm saying? But the reality is, just like rock and roll, you know, has gotten to this space now because it's been around so long where you'll see a Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones touring into their 70s. You'll see a Paul McCartney, mm-hmm. you know, originally of the Beatles, still performing at a high level in his early 70s. Um, so I think that Pac would have been in a lot of different spaces. I think, again, he would have been a dynamic, dynamic actor. I always thought he was an incredible actor 
who never even got to flesh out because of all the legal issues, the criminal issues that he had, you know, the kind of work he would have done. You know, I think he would have won awards for his acting. You know, I think he would have gone in a lot of different directions musically. You know, it's just, it's unfortunate because, you know, you could see it. You know, um, we just don't know. You know, we don't know. I think we should leave it there. Yeah. What do you think, Kevin? I think that y'all are dope. <laughs> both of you. I appreciate you, you that both is. so Leave much. Kevin, thank you so much for, for coming in and talking to us today, man. It's my honor. Long live Tupac. Tupac, when you asked us how long we'd mourn you, for me, the answer is a lifetime. And I have a feeling Gene, Kevin Powell, would agree. He right. wrote all about Tupac in the mid-90s. He's still writing about him. Yeah, and in his memoir, The Education of Kevin Powell, A Boy's Journey into Manhood, Kevin devotes an entire chapter to Pac. Yes, he does. And that wraps up Code Switch for this week. Thank you all for rocking with us. Our producer is Rund Abdel Fattah. With original music from Ramteen Arablui. And thanks to the rest of the Code Switch team, Karen Greasby Bates, Kat Chow, Adrian Florido, Walter Ray Watson, and our news assistant, Leah Danella. Our editors are Allison McAdam and Keith Woods. And this week, we say goodbye to our editor, Alicia Montgomery. Bye, Alicia. If you are listening to the Code Switch podcast, a major reason why this thing even got done is because of Alicia's hard work and, and, thank and direction. You. So thank you. We appreciate you so, so much. And we're going to miss you. And we are. So follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Code Switch, and we want to hear from you. Our email is codeswitch at npr.org. Subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found. I'm Shereen Marisol Miraji. And I'm Gene Demby. We're back next week. Be easy, y'all. Peace. Peace.